Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1976 film Network. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. Uh, Barrett, this is a movie that I have uh, I have seen. I think once before. Um, I actually ended up watching it twice this week. This is a movie that I find endlessly fascinating so i'm very excited to talk about it uh maybe to start with what is your history with this film is this something that you would have seen in 1976 yeah i was a little bit surprised i thought that i saw it when i was still in high school but it came out in the fall of 76 so i must have seen it my freshman year of college uh probably given when it was released probably saw it on christmas break i would imagine um so when i first saw this movie um i, I said last week that i have it's not an interesting story, but it's a unique story of when I saw this that actually speaks well to a lot about this film. Because one of the big things we're going to talk about with this film is just how like prescient and prophetic it is about the future of television and media and things like that. I think this is the first film I ever streamed. Um, oh, wow. Wow. That's interesting. So, so I was a pretty early adopter to Netflix streaming. I had the DVD service, and I remember... This would have been 2008 or nine, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember realizing, oh, Netflix has, a, there's a handful of movies you can watch just, you can just watch online there. And uh, I remember distinctly in my kitchen, I, I was I was making a really complicated meal and I had my laptop in there and I was like, I'm going to watch a movie in the kitchen. <laughs> and I so I went through to see what they had and I was like, oh, I've heard of Network. I've heard that's really good. So I think this is the first movie I ever saw streaming, which is crazy to think now, like that's how you see everything. Um, so, so for a movie that sort of predicts the future in lots and lots of ways, even my viewing of this predicted the future. And it's, it's also interesting that I didn't see it in a theater. I also didn't really see it on TV. Mm. This is a movie about film and TV and there's all kinds of tensions there. So, um, so, so that's sort of the perfect way I think to first encounter this, if you're not able to see it in a theater, cause I wasn't born yet. When that's, this such a, that's, a, that's such a great idea, Sam, that you, that you saw it in a medium that didn't even exist when the movie was was made, and yet it's some, the kind of thing this movie actually foresees. I just I just love that. Exactly, exactly. So um, maybe to set the stage here, before we even get into thinking about this movie, I think it's worth thinking about 1976 a little bit, or, or just generally the mid-70s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I went through and made a list of, of things that were going on. But as you think about the, the milieu of the, of the mid-70s, what are things that, that kind of come to mind? Yeah, I mean, and, and some, some of those are certainly reflected in the film. I think probably for my generation, the, the big uh, hangover in the mid-70s would have been Watergate. Would have been you know, uh, Watergate, and to a certain extent, um, the war, the Vietnam War, I still think, you know, with a lot of vets coming back, that was still kind of a hangover. I think there, there was a general sense that the country was, um, uh, was in trouble. You know, we had that we had the Nixon presidency. We were still trying to get over. Um, uh, the economy wasn't great. Um, it looked like OPEC had a stranglehold on us because of, you know, and the price of oil gets referred to in the film. So I, I think the film does a really nice job. Aside from what it says about media, it does a really nice job of capturing a sense of um, people are mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. I think there really was a genuine kind of um, both weariness and anger at the same time uh, about the country and a kind of creeping cynicism. Yeah. It made me think about, and this is not a, this is not a thing that's angry, but it definitely speaks to the weariness. One of my favorite, probably one of my favorite songs from the 1970s is a Paul Simon song called American tune. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it is about sort of being weary and exhausted and sort of, how do you get back to work and sort of what is, and maybe has, has the American experiment sort of worn itself out, you know, as we approach the, the bicentennial, because 76 is also the bicentennial year for America. Mm -hmm. Um, Other things happening that are, uh, connect to this movie uh the the patty hearst abduction in 1974 i mean that's a a big part of this they reference it and they also have sort of their own um patty hearst version um it's interesting to think about movies that came out in 1976 we talked about 1975 as this like powerhouse oscar year 76 can sort of hold its own with that as well so the the five movies nominated for best picture four of them are on the afi top 100 list um and 
and many of these speak to the time speak that when all of these there's a kind of like weariness to them or questioning to them or anxiety to them some of these are more triumphant stories some of these are darker but um the best picture winner is rocky um which is this sort of triumphant story although spoiler alert rocky doesn't even win the fight at the end he just like lasts right so it's about like how do you endure and it's and a lot of that i just watched this movie within the last few months a lot of that movie is about um sort of run down philadelphia and people down on their luck you have all the president's men that comes out this year um you know to your point about watergate you have network that comes out you have taxi driver that comes out um and then the the other best picture movie is a movie i've never seen um uh, but it's the movie bound for glory which is a fictional woody guthrie story um but even that is talking about the great depression and people you know so like every movie in that in that best picture race is about people dealing with tough times so it's like it's like the the film industry had its finger on the pulse of america there uh, pretty well yeah exactly yeah yeah so how does a movie like network play in 1976 well, you know, that's an interesting question. I was trying to think about that. Um, and, and, and I have to say that one of the way, one of the, I, I loved it because I, I remember at the time I loved it. I, re I really thought that it was a really sharp satire. I mean, I feel like what the film said about the direction that television, especially television news, was going, um, that didn't seem to me at the time to be all that crazy. Uh, I, I do remember thinking that parts of it were quite a bit over the top. Um, and I still think some of it is still a little over the top, but I think on the whole, to me, it seemed, it, it seemed to be kind of spot on. And I think the, I think it was the, you know, the thing that kind of really grabbed a lot of people's attention, grabbed my attention really was the whole idea that people would go to the windows and shout and shout that they were, you know, mad as hell. I think that, that was really what stuck at the time was it was this idea that, um, uh, the popular voice wasn't wasn't being heard. It was kind of the uh, the return of Nixon's uh, silent majority. You know, it was the silent majority that supposedly put Nixon in the White House, and there was a sense that that silent majority wasn't going to be silent uh, anymore. So I, I think I think it, the the film kind of captured that sense that people had something they wanted to say, but nobody was listening. What are the things that 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 jumped out as? feeling over the top and outrageous in 76 because i would say there are still things that feel a little bit like i mean it's, this isn't a perfect movie in terms of kind of predicting the future although there are there are elements so like like what seemed um what seemed like over the top satire because as i read reviews of this movie it's interesting to read i read a lot a lot of pieces from 2016 which would have been the 40th anniversary of this movie and then a lot of pieces from 1976 and there's definitely a um change in the way the movie is is viewed and understood and interpreted with some distance so in 76 what what would have jumped out as like no that's maybe going a little too far if we're thinking about kind of or, or at least that is clearly satire and not exactly kind of reality well probably it's a good question sam because the funny thing is i don't remember at the time thinking that the whole stuff with the ecumenical liberation army was too much uh, but it, it, it must have been. I mean, I must have thought that was a little bit too much. Cause, but I think probably for me, uh, the thing that was really over the top and that I kind of didn't like every time it showed up was the opening of the show with Sybil the Soothsayer. And that just seemed like such an obvious carnival to me that I couldn't quite buy that. Um, but I didn't have any trouble buying Howard Beale. Uh, doing his rant that uh, that seemed okay, but it, it it was mostly where it became such an obvious carnival that I thought maybe it, it had gone too far. Although at the same time, I think that's what the script kind of demanded. So mm -hmm. I so, so at the same time, I felt like it's it's okay to have that sort of excess because it makes a lot of the other stuff that's more plausible actually possible. I didn't have any trouble with some of the critics at the time did. I didn't have any trouble with the executives behind the scenes making the kind of calculations they were making based solely on audience share and profit. Um, some of the reviewers at the time just said, you know, I can't believe that people are going to sit around and make these kind of calculations or the FCC wouldn't pull a show like this off the air immediately. Um, I, I don't remember having any trouble believing that. Maybe I was already cynical enough. I was going to say, does that say something about you at the time? That <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. So so then um, how has this movie changed over time? So obviously the movie itself doesn't change, but um, I mean, when I watched it in, in 2008 or nine. um 
I I was blown. I kept looking up the year it came out and thought, how could how could they have how could he have known so so many things where it's like, wow, that thing that seems like we're kind of making a joke. We're gonna we're taking something that's real and we're gonna push it a little bit further and a little bit further. But so many of those things that I assumed in '76 felt like realistic, but um, we're not there. We're not actually there. Just became like, well, that's actually just what the world looks like, um, and especially the the news media world looks like. Uh, and I would say by 2016, it probably changes even more. Um, so, so when you think about how this movie has changed, I'll give you I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, in the uh, the late 90s, 2000s, as you read pieces from there, and I, particularly the Roger Ebert piece, I think is really interesting. So he writes a review in 77 and then again in 2000. Um, and when he's talking about how prescient the movie is, he talks about things like uh, like Jerry Springer, Morton Downey Jr., the WWE. He's like, oh, look at how excessive like kind of um, TV culture. But even that's like maybe something like Springer is vaguely related to like news culture, but not really. I mean, it's a kind of talk show. And there's lots of other shows like that you could point to, you know, around that time, you're also getting TMZ, which feels a little bit more like news, but pretty sensationalist news. But what's crazy is by 2016 or 2021, I look at some of the things and maybe even some of the like behind the scenes things. And it's like, oh, this actually just feels like what we call news now to a certain degree. I mean, it feels like, like cable news for sure. Um, it feels like Fox news, MSNBC. When you watch those networks, once they tip into, especially once they tip into prime time, those shows feel a lot like, I mean, they don't feel like the Howard Beale show in terms of the carnival aspect, but if you watch those shows, it's like, this just feels like what seems so, so radical and out there for at least people within the world of the movie that's just exactly what it looks like now to a certain degree. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the, I think the, the, the thing that the film couldn't quite capture, but um, is consistent with the film is the, is at the same time, kind of the fragmentation of the market, the fact that it would break, you know, all they could foresee would be four networks, but look at, you know, look at the fragmentation. And so in a sense, um, so, in in a way, what's what they've predicted has has happened, but it's also been in a way kind of diluted. So now we have lots of Howard Beals. Um, we actually had a Howard Beal in in the White House for a while, if you think mm -hmm. about it. Um, and so the the so that's something else the film couldn't quite foresee that the 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 political it could, I, it couldn't really quite see the political ramifications. It couldn't quite see the effect on the body politic. I mean, when you think about how dysfunctional our politics are right now, it's partly because of the kind of power that the media has. So, so the film couldn't quite get that far, but in a sense, um, it, it, it set the dominoes going. Um, kind of makes me think in a way, this may seem an odd connection, but it makes me think about uh, Martin Luther and the, and the Reformation. Um, you know, L Luther thought he was doing one thing uh, to deal with the Catholic Church, and now you look at the uh, landscape of, uh, of the Protestantism, and particular Christianity in general, and it's like, my gosh, he broke the mirror into a thousand fragments. Uh, and, that, and that's sort of what's happened here, I think, that um, there's been a ripple effect beyond what uh, the film directly foresaw, but I think the film correctly kind of diagnoses what happens once these kind of forces get set, set in motion. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of that is, is I feel like there's a degree to which we're living beyond beyond the world that network could could reach like like i feel like like network was a stage in a kind of development and we sort of went through that are going through that because one of the things that I, that I also thought about maybe we can get to this later is like you know what is network in 2021 if you're making a, mm -hmm. a, a if you're making if you're the 2021 patty jeffsky and you're like okay well now i want to do you know what would what would that person do? What what would that movie look like? And I want to think about that uh, maybe a little bit later. Um, one of the the questions that I found interesting as I was reading kind of reevaluations of this movie was also the way people, the view of some of the characters shifted. Um, so and I think particularly the Faye Dunaway character because mm. um, there were I definitely read multiple pieces that sort of said in 2016 or excuse me in 1996 she was. Um, kind of a 
kind of a, a, a built a villain or tragic figure in the movie. Somebody who, I mean, uh, Max talks about her as somebody who sort of grew up on TV and like TV, she almost like creates the shape of her brain. So she mm. only understands, I mean, she only understands her job in terms of ratings, but she only understands her life in terms of T of a TV episode. Mm-hmm. Um, which reminds me a lot of reading Douglas Copeland in the early nineties about generation X and, and, uh, and, and, you know, and some of the things there, but, but, you know, um, and, and that the, the sort of, and I'm putting this in quotes, heroes of the story are maybe the max character. Who's like this old guard person who's trying to hold on to some sense of like what's right and pure or something like that. But the reevaluations are saying, well, actually maybe the Diana character is, oddly kind of the the hero of the movie or the prophetic person in the movie because what what seemed sensational then is like well actually she was just moving she was just somebody who could see where things were headed and there's a kind of tragedy in her in a different kind of way um so i found that really interesting sort of the shifting way maybe people think about that character well, that, that, what struck me about that character, Sam, is something I haven't seen anybody comment on, but it occurred to me afterwards, and that is that um, from, a, from a feminist point of view, she's an unsympathetic character because she's too much like a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and she makes that point herself explicitly when she talks about, about, her, uh, about, her, about her sexual life. But it, it, it struck me that one of the reasons why we were supposed to be unsympathetic to her in 1976 was really, I think, deeply rooted in a kind of sexist uh, view of her character. And I think the kind of condescension that, um, that Mac shows towards her. I mean, yes, he diagnoses her, but there's also a certain condescension going on there as well. So I think those things actually ended up making her um, uh, even even less sympathetic uh, than she than she already was, but you know I, I think there's a sense that maybe yeah maybe she's diagnosing maybe she's reading the way things are going but she's also you know obviously exploiting and um, and and corrupting but at the same time it raises the question of whether you can corrupt something that was and already inclined to be uh, inclined to be corruptible. So I think about the whole thing that gets played out with the Angela Davis-like character mm-hmm. uh, and the Marxist who turns out in that brilliant scene, the, this Marxist who has a complete understanding of how all the various levers of capitalism work and make sure that she gets her caught. I just, I, I love the satire of that scene. I just think that's that's wonderful. So yeah, I mean, Diane is part of that, but at the same time, uh, they're perfectly willing to be corrupted. Right, right, and, and another, another piece I read talked about sort of the the effects of this movie, and that it, it also helps to uh, mythologize, maybe, or continue the mythology of like this sort of golden period of television that happened before. That like, well, maybe because I mean they keep going back to like the Edward R. Murrow days, and like as that as that that is this pure state when you know I'm sure in the nineteen 19- 40s 1950s people were like well this is also corrupt i mean that that there you know people within that world were seeing the you know the 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 imperfections of that because there is no golden era as you uh, as you actually go back one of the interesting things about this movie is that both the writer and director are people who in lots of ways cut their teeth in that version of of television mm-hmm. um you know television is is famously a a uh, a writer's medium film is a director's medium although this mm-hmm. is a film where i feel like i don't know maybe like aaron sorkin is the only other person i can think of uh where like the screenwriter very much dominates this to the point where even though it has a truly great director in sydney sydney lumet it's like in the marketing of this movie and and it like like i feel like the screenwriter's name is way more uh, way more out front um even than the than the director here and actually uh, patty chavsky is the uh, is the only screenwriter to have won three uh solo oscars that is oscars for screenplays that he uh, that he wrote only himself and that goes back to the 1950s his first one was for marty uh 1957. So do you feel like 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 Lumet gets lost in 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 this movie in terms of kind of credit for this movie cuz cuz even the things you read it's all about Chayefsky. Yeah, no that's actually an interesting point and I think there there was one review I read I can't remember whose it was um but it it was one it was one review that actually did uh single out Lumet and talked about how um uh he's kind of really responsible for uh 
kind of keeping the manic energy of the uh, of, of the film going. And I think it's um, it might be Ebert who points out that Lumet was was very good at um, at handling plot. Um, and so so there are there are some occasional nods to the quality of, of the directing. But um, you're right. It's it it's such a writerly it's such a writerly movie. And, you know, they have some people who complain that it's a little bit too talky. But that's that's the glory of it. It's such a beautifully written film. Um, right. And, and not just not just too talky, but too much people just basically screaming speeches. Right. Um, I think, you know, and, and, and in that way, like it seems like such a great movie to be an actor in. I mean, there are so many great scenes. I mean, this this movie wins three acting Oscars and, you know, had it was nominated for a fourth. And, you know, that Ned Beatty part is small, but it's it's something that sticks with you, you know, just, just that, the, that one scene where he, where he makes his three minute speech, like that's a pretty chilling moment. Uh, it's a pretty chilling moment in the movie, but, but uh, also like a, a pretty great delivery and performance. And apparently he just kind of knocked that, knocked that out in one, uh, in one session. Oh yeah. Yeah. He had very little time to prepare and he just kind of, yeah, he just kind of came in and did it. And then, you know, talking about speeches, I mean, Beatrice Strait, um, uh, William Holden's wife, has a little over five minutes of screen time. She really gets one scene, and she gets the Oscar um, for that for that confrontation with him. Which was which uh, was great because I didn't realize that she won an Oscar. But as I was watching the movie, I thought, I don't know who that woman is, but she's really great. Like 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 the there's there's a basically two scene two I think two scenes she's in, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's just like wow, she really jumped off the screen to me, and it's it's not a face I'd ever seen before. I was familiar with, but I was like that's and then when I realized like somebody else won an Oscar and I kept looking at that and I'm like, I don't know who that is. And so I had to go back and look and realize, Oh, that was her. She was, she was, uh, was in fact great. Um, one, one other thing on Sydney Lumet, uh, if anyone's interested in reading a great book about, about making movies, um, Lumet wrote a book called making movies. That is fantastic. I don't know if you've ever read that, but, um, it, uh, I I'm, I'm somebody who's very interested in the, the stories, but also the processes around, um, how a, how a movie gets made, and uh, that's one of the best versions of a book like that that I've uh, that I've ever read. But books like that always convince me that it's a miracle that any movie ever gets made. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. So I, I want to just think about. Um, I just wrote a list of scenes or moments in the movie that uh, I thought were particularly great that that hit hard that I think are worth. Um, we're thinking about or talking about, or at least worth mentioning. So maybe we can just go through some of these. Um, some of these are things I, again, are, are seem prophetic or, or, or struck me maybe, especially in 2021. Um, <clears throat> there is this, there, there's a, a great moment where we, we haven't even said the name Robert Duvall yet, who I also <laughs> forgot is in this movie yes, too. And I was like, wow, he's, he, what a great 1970s he was having. <laughs> um, there, there, there's a great scene where they're at the, I think it's when they're in the like executive dining room eating lunch um, and, and sort of talking about what they're going to do with Howard Beale. And the, um, I think it's the director of the network. Mm-hmm. The yeah. president of the network says, you know, uh, this, this is not what a legitimate news network, does, a legitimate television network or news network does. And Duval just says, we're not a legitimate news network. We're a whorehouse network. And it's just this sense of like, uh, it, I mean, it touches on this main tension of like, like what is the function of the news, right? Is the news, this thing, which should be kind of cordoned off and, and, you know, literally talk about it, like, like networks build a wall between their news division and their entertainment division. And that the news is, is built to lose money, but it is this kind of public service. And this film is talking about the dissolving of that wall and putting that, which is something that is happening in um, is happening in television at that time and happening uh, happening going forward. And um, so, so that was that was just a moment where I mean, it's always something when somebody just says the thing instead of like 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 uh, the the Duval character doesn't mince words when he just says, "Oh, we're not that." We're this, and we, and if we accept that, then we can move forward. You know, that's that is the part of the film's prophetic element, Sam, that I think is kind of overlooked. People have focused a lot on the media stuff, which is important, but I think they haven't think thought enough about the corporatization element. Um, and I think that scene, combined with um, 
Arthur Jensen, uh, Ned Beatty's uh, diatribe to Howard Beale, that really captures a lot of what has happened. I mean, you think about the fact that, but just about the movie industry, think about how much of the American f film industry is now owned by foreign interests, like Sony, right? Sony's taken over everything. Um, if you think about, um, to move to a different industry, if you think about the beer industry, so much of the, of the of domestic beer industry is actually controlled by investors from, from abroad. Um, and if you think about just the recent ruling, uh, surprising ruling about uh, the, uh, the, with Facebook and the, the charge of Facebook as, as a monopoly. Um, I mean, so there, I think this whole notion that ultimately it's a kind of, okay, it's a kind of vindication of Marxist theory, which is not what the Marxist in the film is all about, right? The, the, you know, Mar Marx says ultimately it's, all, it's about the economy, stupid. It's, it's, all, it's all about material, uh, it's all about material stuff. And that's exactly what the Ned Beatty character is saying. Everything gets reduced to commodity. Everything is about, he says, you know, it's all, it's about the, the flow of money. Uh, that's all that matters. Nations don't matter. Um, uh, history doesn't matter. All that matters is the, is the flow of wealth. And I think in many ways, that's a part of the film, a part of the film that has really been, been super uh, relevant to the way things are are today but at the same time it exists in a certain tension right because you also have the howard beale character trying to gin up nationalism and then you get you know the ned Beatty character saying nations don't people don't matter it's so I, I think that tension that we're living in right now uh is something else that the film was amazingly prophetic about but people tend to kind of look past that I love everything you just said there because that I will say is the scene that jumped out at me this time if you had asked me uh you know, before I watch this, well, what are the big, what are the big moments in this movie? I forgot that scene. And when I watched it, I was like, oh, it, the rest of this is, it's possible to view the rest of this as all set up to like, let's pull back the curtain and like, we can talk about all this, the sort of, you know, battles within the network between this and this and what is news and what isn't and what is the programming going to be and what is news and what is entertainment. But then this movie takes a step back and says, e that's not what this is about. That's a distraction mm. from what is really happening here. And, and it, I mean, it honestly feels like you walk into, and, and even the way that they shoot that in this long conference room, a dark room with just these green lamps and, and uh, Arthur Jensen is, it's, it's never tight on him. He's far oh. away. And it is like Beale walks in and it's like, now you're going to meet the devil. And it's like, this is really what's happening. Um, and, and ever, like I said, everything else is noise. This is really what's happening. And it's and like when he says, you know, there's not people, there's not nations, all of these things. I mean, I, my jaw dropped when I saw that and thought, how could, how is this not the only thing people talk about in this movie? Like that's the part. And, and again, that's the part that prophetic's probably not true because it's, you know, if if that character's to believe it's always been that and you know that's maybe a way to think about this um but but it is just again somebody just saying the thing and you're and and you and then you're forced to think about that and uh you know and 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 confront that um i think that's one of the one of the powerhouse scenes in the in the movie and again i love uh, i love jason robards in all the president's men i'm glad he won an oscar for it his ben bradley's great but if you had told me ned Beatty won an oscar for that scene i would say well deserved yeah well i mean you know as he goes on that rant i'm just i mean first of all the scene the great thing about the scene is he plays it three different ways right i mean he takes him to the conference room and i think what i have to say to you is better suited to this and you think oh they're gonna have a nice quiet chat right and then it explodes and 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 the only close-up you get is on howard beale and so this is beale hearing you as you said the voice of the devil he can't distinguish the devil from god and so he's you know he'll 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 take anything that's that's said said to him um and and as he's saying the speech, I keep thinking about you know he says all these things don't exist. This is what's only all, this is all this important. I keep thinking of that Marx quote where Marx says all that is solid melts into air, um, and, and and that's exactly what he's doing. He's dissolving everything that we think is solid about reality and saying no, it's just petrodollars or whatever the currency might be. Another scene that I loved in this movie that again I would have. I, I didn't remember um, is right at the start of this movie. So the movie starts, you already know that, that Beale is going to be fired and he and Max go out and um, they go out and get drunk mm -hmm. and they're talking and they, I forgot that at the opening, they pitch 
the suicide of the week and the terrorist mm-hmm. of the week. And it's so it's such a great move, um, storytelling move to to start with these crazy ideas that these old guys are sitting around talking about and laughing about as if they're doing satire, like, Oh, imagine that was it. And I I just wish I would love to watch this movie again without knowing where it was coming from. And maybe to watch it in 1976 to watch that scene and be like, yeah, that's pretty funny. And then realize, Oh, I didn't understand that they're actually telling me where this movie's going because everything, basically almost everything they talk about there happens by the end of the movie. And it's not even that long, and you see yeah. you see the Diana character pitching the uh, Mao Zedong hour, which is basically terrorist <laughs> of the week. And it's like, oh, okay, like this is this is just happening. So so that scene even feels like a mini version of Network, where it's like mm-hmm. in 1976 you watch Network and you see the sensational stuff, and then it's not long until you're like, well, that's actually just what it is. So the, that experience is even encapsulated in the movie. Yeah, no, it's 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 so yeah. As you said, it's such a great storytelling move to say at the very beginning, here is something entirely ridiculous, and so in a sense, he's he's already you know cut the ground out from under our feet. We want to say this doesn't make any sense. He says, no, I've already told you it doesn't make any sense, but that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, and another great scene. I'm just gonna gonna kind of rifle through these uh, when Beale makes his his first appearance on the news when he talks about killing himself, mm-hmm. and instead of seeing it as a TV viewer, you're, you're one of the people in the control room and mm-hmm. you realize that almost no one in the control room is interested in the content of what's happening. Al- almost nobody hears this guy say what is maybe the craziest thing they've ever heard on television. They, they're all in the room listening to it and they don't hear it. And they're, and, and the cool thing is that their concern is about the form of what they're doing, not the content. And it's mm-hmm. about the form is about the delivery of commercials. How do we throw to commercial? How do we cut to commercial? How do we make sure all those things happen? Um, Which is sort of this perfect image again of what's, what we realize is at the core of this is that this is about uh, money and industry. It's not about these other things, even for the people, most, a lot of the people making the thing. Yeah. I mean, they are, they are in, in, in the strict sense of the word, they are producers. And they are producing something. It's 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 fungible. What 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 they produce doesn't matter as long as it actually creates a product that people will buy. I, I also want to kind of insert something biographical here, um, Sam, and that is that you know first of all, Pat Chavsky himself was truly angry. I mean, he really was a Howard Beale character in in the way he was upset about the way things are going. But he was actually friends with um, one of the leading newsmen of the time, John Chancellor, uh, who was the uh, the lead anchor for uh, NBC. Uh, and he, he actually um, asked John Chancellor if it was possible for an anchorman to go crazy on the air. And Chancellor says, every day. Hmm. And within a week, Chayefsky had produced a draft of this, a rough draft of the screenplay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, another scene in this movie that is, uh, well, actually, before I get to that, I mean, there's also. Uh, this story, I think, I think it's, is it in 73 or 74 of the news anchor in Florida? 74 in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a guy in Pennsylvania who did it on on radio, uh, shot himself. So, yeah. Um, another scene that, that hit me harder in maybe in 2021 than it would have in 2008. And I wonder in 1976 um, was and it's, it's, it's almost this like little throwaway moment because it's, it's part of uh, Diana's power play to take over the, the Howard Beale show, but it's just announced that the news program is now put under the umbrella of entertainment. Mm. And it hit me because that is actually the argument that things like Fox news uses to say, well, how can we, have bill o'reilly or tucker carl this is like because those things are technically framed under well this is entertainment so like it's not news so some of the rules that we would normally apply to news we don't have to apply if i I mean i I believe that's how a lot of these networks do their you know their prime time the more kind of opinion-based stuff is to say like well that's actually entertainment so um so and and i don't know how much that would have landed in 1976 of, of that shift but it's like I heard that and thought, oh my gosh, that's actually what happened. Yeah, you know what? I, and and, and there, there's, there's another moment in the film too when I think, I can't remember who says this to Max, but but somebody says to Max, all right, let's talk about what you what led on your most recent news broadcast. It's Diana, right? yep. 
Yeah, Diana says that, right. And 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 she rattles off all the sensational stuff they let they led with. And so I think there's you know, if Howard Beale is supposed to be a prophet inveighing against the hypocrisies of our time, I think one of the things they're trying to get at is there is a certain hypocrisy, even in people like Max, right? I mean, he he can talk about the good old days of Edward R. Muro, you know, and, and they had this nostalgia for, you know, look at here, 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 you know, here's here's the old guard when news was really news. But the fact is, even the news he's putting on is has to depend on some kind of audience appeal some kind of quote entertainment value and she because it goes back to what you said earlier about about her being uh maybe not such an evil character in a sense i mean she said she sees that and she's simply carrying it out to its kind of logical conclusion which is sort of give the audience what they want because you're already doing that uh so it's not that big a step from giving them what you think they want to what they actually say they want and let's just give it to them yeah, it reminds me of uh, one of my one of my favorite lines in um, uh, in the movie A Man for All Seasons, uh, which is when uh, one of the characters, Richard Rich, is he he takes a bribe to do something, and uh, I forget who he's talking to, um, and Rich has this look on his face, and 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 the guy asks him what it was, and Rich says, "Well, I feel like I just lost my innocence." And the guy says, "Oh, you lost that a long time ago. You've only just noticed." Oh. And it's like, and it's like that's that's it made when when I watched that oh. scene, that's what I thought of. It's like, yeah, she's just pointing out, and this is again where I think, I mean, she is a realist to a degree. It's like we've already we've already lost our innocence. Let's call the thing what it is, and then actually do it because we can do it better if if we. Uh, we can do this better as a delivery service for entertainment and commercials to people if we just admit what we're doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then, then we can um, maximize it and make it efficient and do all of those. We can put all that the corporate power behind those things if we just name it. Um, and, that's, so, yeah, and that's the Duval characters you said earlier. That, that's exactly that's exactly what's going on there. Um, other things that jumped out at me, the, the sort of the invention of something like reality TV, mm -hmm. um, the idea of, you know, of creating, uh, basically creating situations for drama in order to air that drama. And now they do it in a pretty sensational way with the, the, uh, the ecumenical liberation army. But I mean, cause he's basically saying like, could you guys go commit some crimes so that we can then make TV <laughs> about those crimes yeah, yeah. and, and, and we're going to use that real element. So it, ha it has like a, a true crime element to it, but, but true crime mixed with reality TV in a kind of way. And even the social media aspect of, of the, uh, the ELA filming their robbery, like, yes. which seems like such a unique thing in, mm -hmm. uh, in 1976. And if people only knew that, you know, 40 years later, we'd all have movie studios in our pocket. And we would all be, we could all be doing that and we'll do that. And, you know, like that, that part hit in ways that in 1976, people just couldn't have known. Yeah. Welcome to the age of selfies, right? I mean, right. Every, everything is recorded. The revolution will be televised. That's right. Uh, the last, the last thing in terms of, of scenes or moments um, that I found really interesting was I, this is also like a, a movie about people mostly ignoring a mental health breakdown. Yes. Yes. You know, which I didn't remember either. I remembered Beale just having a moment of clarity about like, you know, this is all, this is all bull. This is all ridiculous. And I'm just going to be a truth teller. I forgot watching this. It's like, oh no, this is an unwell person. And there are, and it's clear he's unwell. I mean, we see him talking to the ceiling, yeah. you know, or, and thinks he's talking to God. And what's interesting is how much that conversation echoes the conversation with Ned Beatty's character. Because mm -hmm. he asks the same question, why me? And he says, because you're on TV, dummy. And it's like, that's actually, so whether he was talking to God really that first time, <laughs> He was, and he was talking to the devil the second time. There, it's the same conversation. Um, well, it, 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 and it makes me think about that. What I guess turned out to be performance art with what when Joaquin Phoenix was sort of going publicly. It appeared publicly going off the rails. And I remember thinking at the time, is it should this person be on TV? Shouldn't he be, you know, receiving mental health care? Um, and again, so I kind of foresaw that. I think I think we'll watch. I think we'll watch anything. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's also interesting as I think about this movie, uh, this is a, a movie about generational shifts too, you know, thinking about the, uh, the Howard Max characters as, 
I mean, they're basically, I imagine these are guys who came home from World War II and became journalists, or maybe were journalists in World War II and were part of this this era. And now they're dealing with, um, I, I'm always fascinated by by generational conflict. And, and then now they're dealing with the Duval, Faye Dunaway generation of people who are like, yeah, that was then, but this is now. And and wrestling, you know, and um, I was afraid to look up how old William Holden was in this oh. movie because I'm guessing he's not as old as I think he is. He is not. <laughs> um, but and, but it, there's definitely that 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 sort of tension there between uh, between between generations and and uh, yeah, I, I I just found that 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 really pretty powerful. And that again goes back to Lumet and Chayefsky as people from that earlier generation of TV as well critiquing sort of what they see happening around them. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, Holden's only in his uh, well, mid to late fifties at this point, but wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's what the, that's what the drink did to him. Unfortunately. Um, uh, we already talked about the cast, but the cast is, is pretty stunning. And um, I'm a, I assume this was a stunning cast at the time. Oh yeah. Because, because I mean, Dunaway was established. Holden was yep. established. Finch was already had been nominated for an Oscar. Beatty, Duvall, like it's just across the board, and it's people coming in to do not always big parts. You right. know, like I think about Duvall is a pretty small part. It's a pretty great, pretty great part, and the Beatty character is even smaller and even better of a part. But, um, but but I think that was uh, that was pretty interesting. And in reading about the kind of casting what ifs of this, there mm-hmm. were uh, a lot of directions they wanted to go and a lot of names that were kind of interesting to. Th- I mean, I feel like. The casting ended up perfect. I wouldn't change it, but it's interesting to go through those lists and think, well, what if you had Paul Newman here? Or what if you had this person here? What if you had this person here? Like, it would be very interesting. Yeah, it's another film where Gene Hackman keeps, I mean, we keep reading about these lists where maybe it could be Gene Hackman, but it never, it never is. Right. So we'll have right. to do a Gene Hackman film at some point, give him his due. That's right. There's so, actually, there's so many parts of this movie where I was like, like, I could have, like, could you imagine Gene Hackman giving the, uh, the Ned Beatty speech? It would be great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although again, I don't want anybody but Ned Beatty giving yeah. because he also just seems like just like a soft and nice guy when you first yeah. meet him. And like I and the the crazy thing is when I watched it the second time, I watched it last night again, I knew who he was and I knew the speech he was about to get, and I'm still seduced by the like, you know, I used to be a salesman, I sold this and this, and you're just like wait, this guy's going to give the speech about you've meddled with the primal forces of nature and you must atone. Like I, I'm, I'm not prepared for that. And, and so he definitely flips a switch that I, even though I know he does it, I don't, I, he doesn't seem capable of it. And then, and then does it. So I want to, I want to uh, maybe end my, my questions on this question about um, I was, I've been, thinking about network as and and thinking about how the world has changed i also listened to a podcast about um andy warhol mm. um which is somebody that i used to not think much about and i've ac- i've actually find him more and more fascinating and more and more like somebody who i feel like in interesting ways understood the world and culture around him just better than other people did and understood sort of where things were going uh and it made me think about like well what would someone like Warhol think about the internet age mm. or do we need a new Andy Warhol? Do we need a new network to say like, can you speak to what's happening? Um, you know, we talked about how streaming wasn't even a glint in someone's eye when, when network comes out, like what would the, the streaming wars version of network be? Um, what would he, what would it even be about? Like, I, I, I can't even conceive of it enough because it wouldn't be like network. It, it might not even be about news. I don't, I don't even know what it would be, but, um, but, but I'm sort of curious, like, like maybe we've had something like that and I just didn't notice it or, or didn't think about it that way. But like, I feel like, like we live in a world that is as prophetic as this movie is, it feels so unconnected to the world we live in at the same time, because I feel like we've moved past what this was able to predict in, in certain kinds of ways. And, and it all seems almost so believable that it's like, what is, what is the, what is the 2021 version of, of network look like? So do you have thoughts on that? Putting well, you in no, a tough spot there. I, 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 Sam, I, I think, I think a, qu- a question like that actually makes you want to think about how difficult what Chavsky did is, is to do mm-hmm. how really hard it is to, 
you know, we look back on certain predictions about the future and we think, well, yeah, that makes sense. Or how could they have thought that? But it's really, it's really hard to do because I think, you know, at any time you are, you're so historically bound by where you are. I mean, I guess I tend to think for what it's worth, I, I, I think a lot about AI. You know, I and, and actually I've got I've got some films in the in my back pocket that I thought we might explore later on along the theme of AI. You know, when I look at the direction that things are going, I think that's that's where I'd like to say, you know, where are we gonna be in twenty years with the development of artificial in, in, intelligence? That's 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 probably where my mind would would tend to go. Um, I I don't know if we're going to end up on the matrix or not, but I suppose the matrix would be one version of somebody's effort, you know, twenty years ago anyway, to do a future direction. Mm -hmm. uh, Interesting. And yeah, I, I, the AI direction is a, is a, an interesting way to go. Interesting way to think. And I think that's probably, you're probably right on um, because, because what we're, if network is about lines that are getting blurred in society, that seems like, like the major existential blurry line that, that we, none of us think about, but it feels like we're on the, the brink of something like that. Wow. Uh, do you have other things you want to talk about with this movie? Yeah, yeah just, just kind of three quick things, Sam. One is there's a whole other, um, uh, there's a whole other element of this film that we've only uh, even barely glanced at by mentioning Beatrice Strait's performance as well as um, Max's lecture to Diana. But the film also has a very interesting uh, other kind of breakdown, right? We have Howard's breakdown, but we have Max's breakdown. And we have the whole relationship between him and Diana, which in a sense is almost out of a different film. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think one of the ways that the film works, at least for me, is it holds that together. It's one of those films where it is going off in different directions, but somehow it manages to create a kind of uh, uh, centripetal force that, that holds them together and interlocks them, I think in really interesting ways. Because I could imagine the film without the Max-Diana connection. Uh, but I think he puts it in there, Chasky puts it in there as a kind of a, Kind of a reinforcement of well, there's a couple of different directions these breakdowns can go. You can become Howard Beale, or you can, or you can, you can be Max. So well, I really admire, I really admire the emotional. The film manages to have an emotional core, despite or even along with its kind of cynical perspective. And I think that actually speaks to the 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 Lumet Chayefsky partnership because um, Chayefsky was on set for much of the filming of this, mm -hmm. and Lumet sort of let Chayefsky do things you wouldn't normally have a writer do. Like he'd be like, tell us how this is supposed to sound. Tell, But then when it got to the stuff between Max and Diane, the love story part, he told Chayefsky to leave. He said, I've been divorced twice. I know more about yeah. divorce than you do. Yeah. I know how to do this. And it, so it was like, and so part of that different feel too, is I think, you know, Lumet is driving the train a little bit more. I mean, it's, it's Chayefsky's script and story, but Lumet's driving the train a little bit more in those sections as well. Yeah. And uh, just just two more things I want to point out. In 2018, there was a Broadway version of Network, um, and one of the things that the uh, New York Times reviewer uh, said about it was that, um, well, he said a predictable thing that it's uh, not just a period piece, but he says an almost psychically inspired glimpse into the future, which we've talked about. But what I like that he goes on to say is he says it's a rare gem of American cinema that is both dated, although not too much, I, I would add, and ultimately timeless. And he connected it with three other films, uh, two of which we've watched, and one of which has um, William Holden in it. He connects it to Sunset Boulevard, Doctor Strangelove, and, and Midnight Cowboy. Hmm. Um, and then the, the other thing I want to say is, this is from a review that I think got it so wrong that it's fun to read. This is Richard Schickel's review in, the, in Time Magazine in 1976. And he says, he, he gave the film, um, uh, a kind of a, a weak, I don't know. I, I, I guess he would say he panned it, but he said, yeah, it, it's trying hard, but it's not really very good. But, but here's what he says. He says he might've gotten away with it. That is uh, Chavsky and, and Lumet might've gotten away with this. Had he said it in the future and pretended it was a projection of what might happen if certain trends go unchecked. Hmm. So Schickel both put his finger exactly in what the film was doing, but said the film wasn't going to do it. <laughs> that, that this, this is what was going to happen. So I, 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 I love that particular perspective. That's phenomenal. Uh, the other review I could not get access to is Pauline Kale hated it. Uh, mm -hmm. But I haven't. I wasn't able to get to look at her review. Yeah, I only saw references to, yeah. to her review. Uh, that's one, Pauline Kale for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one last piece of just interesting casting. Um, the, the actress who plays the... Uh, 
um, the heiress who's who is uh, kidnapped by the uh, Ecumenical Liberation Army. Do you know who that actress is? I do not. She is Kathy Cronkite, which is Walter Cronkite's daughter, which I just find very interesting. Oh, like interesting okay. pieces of casting there. Well, okay. So, so uh, there's two assassins at the end. Uh, who's the white guy? I, I, I didn't know. Tim Robbins. It is. Oh, yes. I have to go back and watch this again. It is interesting because I saw that guy and thought, "Huh, yeah. who is that?" Yeah, course, I, you know, he stood out to me. Yeah, w w without a line, he's not credited. So the credits roll, his name isn't there. But I'll have to confess, it was uh, somebody's review that said to me, watch out for a very early Tim Robbins appearance. So that's, that's kind of cued me in. So that's crazy. I love that. I, that. You just gave me a reason to watch this for a third <laughs> time this week. I'm going to go back and at least watch, uh, at least watch that scene. Uh, Barrett, what do you have for us for next week? Well, I think we desperately need a change of pace. Um, and, uh, and here's how I'm going to justify it. As you, um, as you pointed out, one of the other top films of the year was, uh, was all the president's men, uh, which is a film about real news, real news reporting. Um, do you happen to know, I'll put you on the spot. Do you happen to know who wrote, who adapt, wrote the adapted screenplay for all the president's men? It's William Goldman, right? Very good. Uh, but what is William Goldman best known for? In terms uh, the of princess the bride princess bride so i think we need to watch the princess bride that seems to me to be the perfect summer movie uh and and one of the few movies i've chosen that my wife would approve of so uh, i think we should do the princess bride next week that sounds delightful <laughs> i'm very excited to uh i'm very excited to watch uh to watch the princess bride uh barrett thank you so much for uh for having this conversation for recommending this movie um this is one of those that uh, my daughter's uh, was at camp so she didn't get a chance to watch this with me but i talked with her about it and she said well can i watch it and i was like yeah, I'm pretty sure there's there's nothing in there that 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 I feel too uh, uncomfortable with that. So it's like so she's very excited to see this, um, and I'm really curious to hear uh, what a teenager's mm -hmm. take on network in 2021 is, um, because I think she'll be blown away by how um, how old how this very old thing seems to very much touch on um, mm -hmm. uh, very much touch on kind of what's what's happening in the world around her. So thank you so much for recommending this, for having this conversation. And we will be back next week to talk about the princess bride in the video store. Mm -hmm.